Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 169 of The Cool Room. Hard to believe that number is that high. Hard to believe that my co-host, Mr. Warren Wu, isn't joining us this afternoon. He's somewhere on the road to Kyabram. And for all of our international uh, listeners, I won't even attempt to explain to you where Kyabram is. We're going to have enough uh, regional Victorian uh, geography for you to get your heads around today without that. But a shout out to Mr. Wu and a shout out to everyone who's been joining us uh, on the podcast and in the Zoom rooms lately. It's been great to have you on board. Some great episodes lately uh, with the likes of Range and Seven Mile. Uh, After this, we've got Other Side coming up in March. That'll be part of our March tasting pack. And we're going to do a live show with Moondog at the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club, which many of you will know I hail from. So the opportunity to speak to Moondog about all that's going on in the western suburbs of Melbourne, taste some of their newest releases and uh, see me bowl really badly, despite the fact that I've been doing it for 20 odd years. Uh, Tickets will be available for that soon, but enough of the spruiking, uh, because today we've got a really fun show lined up. We've got an awesome tasting pack. Uh, from Reckless Brewing, still available in our stores if you're really quick. And we're going to be experiencing three beers for them today. So make sure when you listen to the podcast, you have the Queen Beer, the Kumquat IPA and the Stout ready to go. And um, that means you'll be able to listen to Grace and Jared explain all those things to you. Good afternoon, Grace and Jared. Hello. Good afternoon. <laughs> Now, rather than me reading through a CV or doing something boring like that, let's get you guys to introduce each other. I want to know like where you first met, where your first beer memory is, and what you think the other's favourite non-reckless beer is. Who wants to go first and get the ball rolling? When this could turn nasty really quick. <laughs> go on, you yep. start. <laughs> all right, rip the band-aid off. Okay. Ah. Uh... All right, so Grace Georgina Fowler was born on the 26th of July, 1990 to Donna and Ian Fowler. Maybe without like giving oh. away all of our um, personal information for the happy No, story. I think this is, this is important. And, and what was the name of her first pet? Just if I'm... <laughs> <laughs> uh, skip forward uh, 22 years and um, Grace was working in a bottle shop in the inner west of Sydney, uh, reconnected with an old friend from her bar working days. And that friend's partner was Brody, who is currently the head brewer of Hawks Brewing in Marrickville. And an off the cuff remark to Grace was, do you know anybody that wants to be a brewer? Uh, so Grace decided to drop everything. And at the stage it was a, um, a large contract brewing facility out in Western Sydney. Uh, so literally the next week, Grace was on a, was it 20,000 or 40,000 40, litres? 40,000 litres. 40,000 litres. Brewing <laughs> some of Australia's biggest independent beers that had outgrown their, their, um, their current facility. So she was there for a little bit. Um, that company made a few interesting decisions and ended up in administration. Uh, Brody went across. I, I think had- we may have referred to that in previous podcasts. So go back and check the archives and we don't need details <laughs> right now that might land you with some sort of, well, probably not, but some sort of lawsuit. It's exciting to think it might. <laughs> I think it's all done and dusted now. Uh, so Brody ended up at Source uh, and Grace ended up at Akasha that was uh, near to where we were living at the time. 
so she went from learning under Brody to learning small scale craft brewing under Dave Padden uh, and spent the next three, four years there working her way up to being five years, <laughs> being the, the lead brewer there. But um, eventually all the beers that Grace was designing there were just absolutely fantastic every time they came out and eventually myself and our best friend sat down with grace and said look if this is what you want to do we're we're going to go all in on this this is a cool industry to be a part of we love everything you're doing we believe in what you're doing um let's start our own so about well right before the pandemic we uh, finally crossed all the t's on all the red tape and um grace brewed her first beer the pale ale the pandemic hit we navigated our way through that and eventually here we are at the other side with a nice big brewery in Bathurst. You know, I reckon great. that might be the most comprehensive introduction that one person has ever done for another in 169 years, 169 years, 169 episodes of the podcast. Sometimes it feels like 169, but in a really positive way that I've lived through so many good times. Um, that's a ripper of an introduction that gives us a lot of things to go on with. But um, Grace, do you want to do you want to pay it back? Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. So this is Jared, um, and he drinks all the beers. Guess <laughs> <laughs> that's all we've got to say. <laughs> and that's all we've got time for, folks. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? What do you? What What is his favourite non-reckless beer? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Oh, I don't know. It's kind of changed a little bit recently, like, but pretty much anything that was free for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, the definitely um, Akasha's Mosaic IPA is uh, Jared's uh, favourite non-reckless beer. Um, but that's if a, I had to tell you a beer that I didn't brew, then, then we'd be struggling. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good call. And a bit of a reminder, it's been ages since we've had a car show on the show. We must get them back on at some stage. But that's another story. Um, we have a lot of international listeners and they are, but every episode we put out, they become more and more confused about Australian geography. And today's not going to help. So for, for our friend Heinrich uh, over there in Norway, um, we've just landed at Sydney Airport. We've come in over the top of Hawks uh, Brewing. Let's give them a shout out because they've been good to us over the years as well. Um, how are we going to get to the brewery? Like, we've got to get out of Sydney first, explain the geography and explain to us what it's like to be up in sunny Bathurst. Well, the geography is just head west, basically. <laughs> and then you get to the mountains and you go over them. And then you keep going west a little bit more. So we're about three hours west of Sydney. Um, and you do have a rather famous mountain up there as well. I mean, we without do. going too sort of, you know, <laughs> car racing yeah. nerd about it. But many, many people around the world will know Bathurst because it's the home of a very famous, probably the most famous Australian motor race. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll let Jared talk about the car racing because it was. A, this is a really quick reference. I'm not trying to bog down on this one. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. But, um, it is pretty cool that uh, a lot of people around the world do know Bathurst, and everyone in Australia knows Bathurst, even though it is a relatively small town. So it actually helps get our branding out there. That even though we're a regional brewery, uh, people go, "Oh yeah, Bathurst. Yeah, I know that." And it's a really pretty town and an old town by Australian standards in terms of white settlement. So. Absolutely. So gold mining. So it was one of the first uh, towns. It was the first Ooh. inland settlement, actually. Um, and that was because of gold, obviously. But yeah. 
I look forward to that. If, if you disagree <laughs> with that with that statement and you're an Australian historian, please write directly to Reckless rather than rather than to me. No, no, no. Just write to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And tell us, in terms of the space that you've got there, so we, we've got ourselves from Sydney, we've got ourselves to, to lovely Bathurst, we've avoided all the V8 supercars. We've, what is it going to feel like when we walk in? Give us a bit of a feel for the space that you guys have up there. So we're, we're pretty lucky. Our space is quite, quite amazing, quite beautiful. It's uh, an old heritage-listed flour mill. Uh, it's called the Crago Mill. It's uh, right next to the train station. It's in the old kind of mill district. Um, and, yeah, it's just a beautiful old brick building that's, yeah. you know, got the foundations to hold mills and pallets and yeah. tons and tons and tons of flour. So, you know, not purpose-built for a brewery um, and by no means was it easy to get all our equipment in there, but it's um, it's definitely doing doing its job. I don't know how much more equipment we're going to fit in there, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got a big, we've got a nice big brewery um, and uh, lots and lots of tanks, and we've also got um, the space to seat about 350 people. Um, so full kitchen, full bar, you know, spirits, wines, the the whole shebang. Um, so yeah, we kind of like, you know, we're not just a, a tap room or a tasting room. We've kind of got the whole whole experience going on, which is pretty pretty cool in a nice looking building. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It looks fantastic. So if you if you have the chance while you listen, give it a little Google and have a look at some of the images that come up there. And um, obviously, if you get the chance, head on up to Bathurst and um, and experience it in the flesh. Um, you've already given us a bit of a run. I was going to I normally ask how many people are involved, but I've, we've sort of touched on that lo- along the way. And so let's not delay. Let's talk about the beer that we've got in the glass in front of us to kick off, which I am calling Queen Beer. Yeah. What yeah. should I be calling it? Have I just made that up and confused Paul Heinrich even further? Or no, you're nailing it. It's um, we're calling it. It's a play on Queen Bee, which it was a collaboration with. Um, so yeah, Queen Bee. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of what we refer to it as. Although in the brewery, it, you know, when you're just talking about it, it just gets shortened to Queen. <laughs> so Queen, not Queenie. You don't just sort of do an Australian sort of. Doesn't get queenie. No, yeah. I don't know why. No, no. yeah, just, just the queen, just queen. <laughs> and so, tell us what we should be experiencing in the glass here. Uh, I kicked off uh, earlier on with one of your other lagers, but so this is obviously a bit more rich and fulsome in flavour. Tell us what's going on here. Yeah, so um, this is um, a we call it a bush lager. It was actually one of Jared's ideas. He has a couple of good ones occasionally. Yeah, changing your tune. <laughs> But we wanted to have, <laughs> we wanted to do a, a bit of a, a series of beers that really showcases some Australian native ingredients. Um, so this is kind of the first of, of that, um, which is where bush lager comes from. Um, so it's actually a corn lager and it is um, spiked with Australian native finger lime. Um, so you've got that really nice, subtle um base basically for the the lime really kind of like zings and kicks just straight off that it's on the palate it's on the aroma it's yeah it's a really really tasty number for for summer in particular yeah I've been enjoying it I think if I had to describe (laughs) how I taste um finger lime over lime it's as though a lemon myrtle tree and a lime tree made sweet sweet love and (laughs) that came out of it it's quite (laughs) zesty and not as sour as a Mm. lime I can, I can see what you bring to the brewery. I'm getting a feel for that already. 
<laughs> Jared goes, make it taste like that. <laughs> and I'm not really sure exactly how helpful that'll be for poor Heinrich, you know, his knowledge of lemon myrtles being somewhat dubious. But um, it's a fantastic flavour and the mellowness of the corn just sort of gives it a really nice bed to sort of do that springing off from, doesn't it? Yeah, we, um, yeah, I think that we haven't done a corn lager before and I think it was the perfect um, kind of base to really showcase the the finger lime. Um, yeah, it's tasty. I like it. It's the one, it's my kind of go-to at the moment, I won't lie. So I'm uh, hoarding some from the brewery so <laughs> that I've got a little stash for the rest of the warm days ahead. <laughs> and uh, in terms of giving Heinrich a little bit of a feel for what it is that we're drinking, I've always thought, and I've, I love finger lime beers, uh, but I always thought that a little tequila chaser goes perfectly with a beer like this on like an Australian summer's day. So it's the end of February. We're sort of enjoying the last of summer, but this is a cracking summer beer for that kind of occasion. Absolutely. It's actually been really hot the last few weeks out at Bathurst. It was a pretty slow ramp up to summer, but the last few weeks has been 30, 35 degree days every day. And this beer is just flying off the shelf. 35 degrees Celsius, Heinrich, just for... for... <laughs> <laughs> now, collaboration beer, as you said. So who have you collaborated with? Um, so this is a collaboration with The Hive Bar, which is in Erskineville in Sydney. Uh, and they do a monthly um, event called the Queen Bee DJs, showcasing, like, uh, basically, yeah, female DJs, essentially. Um, usually all vinyl, like, kind of, you know really funky like a lot cooler than us <laughs> um but they say the same thing about you i know so. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been really big supporters and we have like a lot of um you know similarities in in where our kind of like female led and you know female owned and you know really industry an industry like both brewing and the the hospitality especially in the ownership of of bars and stuff is quite a male dominated world so you know we've got a little bit of a, a sisterhood I guess going on um with with some of the the guys over there so yeah it was, a, it was a pretty special one for us they've been big supporters from the beginning and it was exciting for us to kind of be able to do our first collaboration at our own brewery with them so this is one of the first beers we actually brewed yeah. you know, on our new kit so it was really cool that's fantastic and i love that it's i love the fact that these beers lead to those stories and let us have that sort of conversation about the Australian brewing industry and the fact that there are obviously some leading females, but there's still a there's still a lot of male domination in it, isn't there? So sort of how has that been for you getting out there and experiencing the industry and working your way through that, through that history that we've spoken about there? Yeah, well, like for me, I've been I've been a part of this industry for over ten years now. So it's changed a lot since I started for the better, which but you know, there's still obviously barriers for for women in in male dominated industries like this um but like I'll give you a story of when I've worked at Akasha I was the only person there I was in my high vis I was brewing and uh a tradie came in to do some work and you know it was like oh is the brewer here and I was literally in high vis brewing and my shirt said brewer on it <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him at a point I'm like I'm the brewer and he's like oh I thought that was your last name. No. 
<laughs> so that's you know like that's like some of the more funny like <laughs> situations that we've had yeah um, i guess you've got to laugh but it, it <laughs> what is can you do? exactly um so but you know now like we are you know majority female owned brewery like with me and um me alice and jared are the, are the owners so two-thirds um female owned uh we've got more than 50% of our management team uh, are women. And that's not by design at all. It's just how it kind of fell, like when we were hiring people, essentially. Um, but it's kind of cool, I think, that uh, a lot of people, I guess, feel kind of safe in our, in our brewery and, and that kind of stuff. So, like, I think, you know, from experience um, at other places I've worked, women just don't apply for, for some of these jobs in these kinds of industries. Um, so... Yeah, it's nice that, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of people from different industries who have kind of jumped ship and joined us and um, feel like they can be part of the team and, and be comfortable. So that's really, really cool. Um, but, but yeah, I think that we are now um, the largest female. I was going to ask exactly the question group. I think you're about to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we are. I'm not, I don't know for sure, 100%. We're deaf because there are a few, um, you know, like husband-wife duos, but. We have Alice, so that helps us. So, but so we're more than fifty percent owned um, by women. So, if you, yeah, I think I think we are. Yeah, we haven't been challenged. We've started yeah. saying that out loud, and <laughs> yeah. nobody nobody's been able to challenge it. <laughs> well, as I always said in some of my previous jobs, as soon as I could prove or vaguely prove that something was the largest in Australia, I went straight to Southern Hemisphere. So, I think <laughs> my suggestion would be that you know that you are the, the largest craft brewery majority owned by women in the Southern Hemisphere and let someone from Buenos Aires come and argue. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> we often ask, and I will ask later on, sort of what advice you have for home brewers and so forth who might be trend, you know, trying to get into the brewing industry. But for young women who might be listening today, is there any particular bit of advice that you'd give, not even so much a mistake that you made, but just sort of where do you think the right place to start for for girls, women who want to get involved in the industry is? Um, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought about it. I think that uh, it's changing a lot since I got in. Like Jared kind of told you at the beginning, the way that I started in the brewing industry was quite unique and not really a normal yeah, I, avenue. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't think it's, I don't think it's the right way to go to just sit around and hope that someone invites you to start on a 40,000 litre, you know. Exactly, exactly. But um, I think that the key thing that's changed in the last 10 years is that there's a lot of really good education now. Um, there, you know, there's the TAFE course in, in New South Wales. I'm not sure about um, what's, what hap what's happening in, in Victoria in that case. I know that there's obviously university degrees and all that kind of stuff in brewing. But for that kind of entry-level stuff, the, the TAFE course is really good. Um, but also things like doing your Cicerone certificate and like learning about how to how to really actually taste beer and all that kind of stuff. I think that's a really good avenue to get in as well. Also, still not a lot of Cicerones um, and not a lot of female Cicerones either, although we have one. We have one. Yes, yes. we do. And Marie, our, uh, our um, bar manager and brewer, she's also a brewer, um, she, has a, she is our Cicerone. Um, but I think that that is kind of your best bet to be that highly educated person if you're interested in it, you know what I mean? You have to have the passion as well. 
like I'm not gonna lie it's not the greatest most glamorous job especially when you're starting out as a brewer <laughs> especially when you're in your high vis standing around trying to explain to people that yes you are exactly. the brewer. exactly be- exactly so but yeah like when I think when on my first week out in the contract brewery out in western Sydney it was about 40 degrees and one of the yeast bins had leaked so I spent the day shoveling yeast like spent yeast in 40 degree heat. <laughs> so we, I don't want to hear all of your horror stories yet. That's why we have the cool room question later on. So <laughs> let's, just, let's just bank some of those thoughts. We're all up for explosions and disgusting shovel experiences. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Before we move on to the next beer, just to sort of round out our discussion of this one, is there a particular reason why you chose the lager or the finger lime lager in particular for the collaboration and how much sort of back and forth was that? Why this beer for the collaboration? Um, yeah, we. I'm, try, I'm trying to remember. It was it was a big kind of push from our um our sales guy Dan. Um, he was really interested in the the corn lager aspect of things. I I think so that he kind of pushed that. Yeah. Um, and then fingerline, we were just, you know, we we knew we wanted to use a native Australian ingredient, and we you know, basically came to the conclusion that that would be the perfect accompaniment for, for this beer. We've got about 10 or 20 natives that we want to introduce over the next few years. Uh, we've already done three or four, and there's another three or four in them coming out pretty soon. Are you able uh, to give us the 2.30pm scoop? Normally we do this in an evening, and so you know, the brewers and others, by about 8.30, <laughs> are willing to give us a scoop or two. Can you give us a scoop on which Australian natives are growing at the back of the uh, brewery at the moment that we might get to experience soon. Uh, a, a lovely wallaby and... Um, <laughs> a, a wallaby and Delta Goodrum flavoured beer. I will say that uh, most of our beers are vegan, so no wallaby uh, is <laughs> included. Maybe just dip the wallaby in. Maybe the wallaby is where the yeast comes from. Um, but we're, we're looking at um, some native river mint, um, in one of our beers uh, that's that's coming out, there's also um, salt bush that salt we're looking bush. at. Yep. Um, uh, we've already talked about lemon myrtle, which um, yep. that's yeah. So there, there's a there's a few there's yeah, a few. We've, we've used um, strawberry gum in our. We did a sour a little a little while ago. And it's no secret. Uh, very shortly, we're going to go across onto another native for the next beer. So that's that's. Um clearly the path that we've taken, that there are quite a few of them available at any one time. Mm. Well, that's a lovely segue. Normally I leave my, all my segues to my co-host, Mr. Warren Wu, who's currently somewhere near Kyabram. Goodness knows what beers are up in Kai today. But um, that's a good excuse for opening the Kumquat IPA, I think. Shall we, shall we open that beer and can you uh, give us a little tour of it, perhaps, as best you can in absentia from the... Um... I love the sound of that can opening. <laughs> Um, I, I have to start with that um, using the lemon myrtle and the lime reference. Um, kumquat's another native, and for those that uh, don't know what it is, my description when the regular punter comes up is this time a lemon, a lime, and an orange had an orgy, and the kumquat <laughs> is what resulted from that. So it's a little bit of everything citrusy. You, you realise that over time this is just going to get you into some really difficult situation, don't you? <laughs> Eventually there's just going to be, like, I, I'm really, I, I don't want you to answer this question, but, you know, in terms of where the river mint flavour comes from. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it to your imagination. <laughs> I, I, I come quite something that most people 
don't know about? I mean, because I've known kumquats since I was a kid, and I'm I'm wondering whether that's bizarre or not. I think that lots of everyone's heard of them. I, think I don't think a lot of people have had them. <laughs> with a nan or a pa or an auntie who either had a kumquat tree or a mulberry tree. So everybody either knows what mulberries are or kumquats. Just I from just, that in the backyard. There was um kumquat trees at my school. That's how I know what they are. Mm. There were heaps at my school. But yeah. That's um, really it's you're you're absolutely right, Jared. I hadn't thought about it, but you those are two sort of iconically old Australian backyard trees or even the mulberry I am totally going down a rabbit hole now but (laughs) the mulberry tree that my family used to go and pick mulberries from must have been a hundred years on old and it was out in the middle of a paddock in the middle of nowhere the house that had planted it was no longer there it was literally this old tree that you had to walk through a kilometer of snake infested grass to get to um are a bit like that That was also, and James in the room is absolutely right. You, um, he says you hide them in brandy, uh, mm. but no, I my absolute thing is the you get you fill a gl- jar with kumquats, pour brandy over the top of it, leave it for six months, and then put that on vanilla ice cream. It's one of the nicest things in the world. Oh. <laughs> Have you never done that? Never. <laughs> I'd never seen a kumquat until this. I was a mulberry bush, mulberry tree <laughs> person growing up. I feel I feel like we have massively got off track there, and that normally I can blame other people, but really today it's only myself that I can blame. So let's talk about this beer. How should it be looking in the glass? Give us an idea of the colour. Give us an idea of the nose we should be experiencing, and then then let's talk about what we're actually tasting at the end of all of that. Um, so it's uh, got a, a nice kind of IPA base, but it's not too heavy. It's it's deliberately on the lighter side, the base, to really let the um, the kumquats kind of shine through. Uh, that's a bit of a theme with our beers. Um, we we don't tend to like do an overly malty um, kind of like base, and we like to showcase more the hops and the like aromatics and 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 whatnot of the special ingredients that we're putting in. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's got kumquats on the nose. So if you haven't smelt a kumquat, you now know what they smell like. Once you isolate all those other hot aromas yeah. out. So it's nice and it's just nice and citrusy, basically. Like you've got kind of grapefruit and, um, and lime and a little bit of orange and, and whatnot. So that's kind of the, the general vibe. Citrusy. I get it the far reason- more on the, t- on the taste than the nose. I've got to be honest. That for me is where I'm getting... Yeah, for sure. I get. I think um on the that first like upfront as well, you get like kind of almost that pithiness of the um of the kumquat flavor and the citrusy flavor, which adds like this kind of special bitterness. So it's like it's kind it, of it's, weird. Yeah. <laughs> the way I describe it, we've actually dialed back some of the bittering hops of this and let the bitterness of the kumquat come through. Mm. And so the bitter profile right on the front end is completely different to what you'll get from a standard IPA. Absolutely right. And so for me, if I was trying to explain to someone who'd never had a kumquat before what it's like, um, Heinrich, if you go to the local supermarket and get, a, say, a mandarin, and you know when you take the skin off, but you can roll it and get all the, it sort of shoots the juice out of the skin and you get that sort of resiny, thick uh, flavour from, from the pith and the skin, that's that's what kumquats are all about. They're, they're quite, quite tart. In fact, that's probably an understatement. You, they're basically mm. inedible as a, as a fruit unless you're super game. <laughs> um, 
and that's sort of what I'm getting out of this. So what hops are actually in there? Um, it's got a little bit of Chinook, Cascade, and Apollo. So they're not over the top. They're um, just kind of there to boost the kumquat aromas and flavours. They're not the star for sure, but yeah. And educate us a little bit about Apollo as a hop. I think we, we know the other ones pretty well, but where does Apollo hail from? How long has that been around? Uh, it's a US hop. It's been around for a while. Um, yeah, it's, I don't have too much to say about it other than, you know, it's it's similar um, similar to all of those big New World um, US hops where it's got those lovely, like, kind of tropical, fruity and um, citrusy kind of aromas going on. Uh, maybe a little bit hint more of like grapefruit fruitiness for it, but yeah. yeah right. um, is there anything about sort of what format do the kumquats arrive in? Do they actually come as kumquats, or do you get the juice? And feel free not to give away any trade secrets that you don't hear. But James in the in the chat here again was making the very valid point that kumquats are terrible to make marmalade with because they're full of seeds and full of skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you actually get them as kumquats, or did you did you sensibly? <laughs> we um we sourced them as uh, as peel or zest or the just just the outsides basically, um, but yeah. <laughs> and, and and which apprentice did you make clean out the fermenter at the end of that uh, brewing experience? <laughs> it's um you know we have a few trade secrets to in order to not have to do too much um, extra work with the fermentator. Is it, is it a fermentator? fermentator. <laughs> a, a, I think I watched that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger last night. He's a, they dip him in a beer and it's it's only Schwarzenegger-based yeast that um that ferments. So. <laughs> um, but no, basically, like, we, we use uh, similar to what you do when you've got a homebrew set up, um, but just on a much larger scale. We, we pop it into something known as a hop sock and... Um, so that kind of keeps it all together. It also allows us to um, taste the beer and remove the the peel when we're happy with um, the flavour level, basically as well. So, yeah. And, and so, is that actually what you do with this beer? Do you taste it along the way? And because mm-hmm. we often ask, sort of, you know, I presume there wasn't a a small batch of this made first. Did you go straight to uh, yeah. scale this- and? Yep, just straight to it. We've done a lot of um, we've done this process with a lot of other beers, um, so we know that it works. Um, but yeah, just getting the the right kind of level of you know bitterness and pithiness and all that kind of stuff. That's where the kind of sampling um, takes place, basically. But yeah, and and who's involved in that part of the process? Is that yourself? Is there a little team that gets together or? Yeah, it's it. It's Karen's a group. shaking his head. I don't know whether that means that it's a car. Oh, no. <laughs> whether he's just whether he's just admiring the ceiling of the of the Swedish sauna that he appears to be sitting in. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have an amazing team on on site at the brewery. Um, there's myself and Stephen and Anne Marie as as brewers. Um, and Anne Marie is our cicerone and resident. Uh, let's make her taste it and decide. Well, you know what's what's going on. <laughs> Um, so we always we always like rely heavily on on Anne Marie's nose and palate, um, but at the same time, you know, it's about whether the people will like the beer. So our bar staff, our sales team, like 
you know, ev- everyone has has a taste who's around yeah. when it's happening. And Quite often there's yeah. there's 15 glasses in uh, on the table and there's 15 people yeah. all just going, ooh, ooh. Usually oh. Stephen brings me out a sample and then, like, all these, it's like, you know, bar flies. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I am familiar with this scenario, yes. I am. <laughs> But it's funny, and do you find, I mean, I'm again getting off track a little bit, but how much feedback do you get from your sort of regulars in the in the venue there and so forth? And how important is that in the decisions you make, both about a single beer about along the way, but perhaps more importantly, just about the styles that you experiment with and things like that? How does, you know, what are the Bathurst locals like? Um, it, it's, I'm dangerously close to going on a tangent here, but... Um, well, you, the locals... Feel free to tangent off my tangent. They will... <laughs> They love to give feedback, but one of the cool things is having the brewery there, having the bar and being open while we're brewing because it's not a warehouse where you've got to close this area off and whatnot, is that Stephen will come out with this and we'll have our locals there and they feel like they're part of the process. So we'll bring the beers out, we'll get them to try something new, we'll get them to give us their feedback, even though they're not a trained Cicerone, because it's important for them to sit there and go, oh, I taste this or this. We're educating them at the same time as well. And Bathurst is not exactly the the world leader in craft beer. Uh, but these guys... Well, it is are, now. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's not so much to get their feedback and technical input. Uh, it's just bringing them along for the ride and realising that, that Bathurst owns this brewery and it's theirs. And so we actually have a lot of people coming in at times that you wouldn't necessarily be busy because they know we're brewing. And so it's just cool to be a part of the process and feel like they're one of the team. So we love getting the locals to do all that and try it all, even though the, the technical feedback might not be uh, what we're after. Yeah. But luckily, we've, we've got a lot of trained people for that. So Yeah, I think as well, like, you know, yes, we brew in Bathurst, but it is a, like a small part of our market. Um, uh, it's getting bigger and bigger, um, but, the, you know, our main... Um, customers are still in Sydney, really, um, and Newcastle and you know, along the coast and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, it is it is really, really cool, and they really appreciate, um, you know, yeah. being able to being have part a, of it. Especially when we're canning, having a beer off the line, they feel so special. It is really cool. It's really cool. <laughs> I still feel special getting a beer straight off the canning line. It's so funny. Yeah, if, if, if you're ever in town while we're canning and you see Jared, like he will just basically plaster you with un you know, unlidded cans of beer fresh off the line. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the verb you were really looking for there, but sure, let's just let's just go with plaster as the It's <laughs> exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and do the locals suggest styles that they like, or for that matter don't like. And I guess to hark back to the lagers a little bit, it's interesting that we often have conversations with breweries about lagers where people love drinking them but they don't actually like the word lager or they're not attracted <laughs> to that word. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I think that, uh, well, firstly, our locals, they don't really suggest too many. We have a few, like, hardcore, like, you know, home brewers who, like, want to see specific types of beers and whatnot. Who but are watching us right now. So Some, some of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, like... It's more just us kind of introducing styles of beer to our local crowd, um, which is which is pretty cool. So, like for instance, sours. We we never really anticipated that sours would be a big seller in Bathurst, um, but we were proven wrong immediately before we'd even opened. We did like the winter festival, 
um, in the in the park in Bathurst, and we sold out of our double plum sour and our bloody Mary Goza. Yeah, I had <laughs> I had a guy almost getting violently pleading, begging last night at the brewery to bring back the double plum sour. Uh, and he guaranteed that he himself would buy twenty five cases of it. If he it. Was he very uh, earnest when he made that? You know, was it that level of earnestness? Hundred percent genuine. No, I will. I'll go to the bank now. Kind of is it that kind of conversation? Um, yeah, like we, we're training a lot of people. Um, for for the folk in Norway, Bathurst is about forty three thousand people, and it is very old school, very country, very. A lot of people would say ten years behind uh, major cities, but COVID changed everything, and seven thousand people moved to this town during COVID and completely gentrified it, and so that's that's part of the opportunity we saw. But it means that. We've got these folk that are hardcore beer nerds, uh, love the latest new releases, but we've got this huge contingent that, yeah, lager, um, they just, what's the closest thing to a Forex? Uh, I drink Great Northern, what is it? And the second they try that BX lager, we've got them hooked. And we were absolutely blown away that a one-off lager that we brewed is now pretty much every second or third beer we brew just to try and keep up with the demand for that. And the demand's not just in, Bathurst, it's in Sydney as well because it's just a clean, fresh craft lager. There's there's nothing new world about it. We've just gone true to traditional style. Yeah, it's a and, Czech pills, the BX. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's been the biggest surprise. Well, second biggest surprise after all the sour beers that yeah. the, the country folk. I think soon after we opened, we um it was still available. And these blokes are rocking in on a Thursday afternoon, their high biz gear, Bathurstians their entire life walking out with cases of double plum sour. You know, I expected you to, one, not even be at our brewery this <laughs> early, but two, go straight for the BX and that's it. So it's been pleasantly surprising how different some of those attitudes are than what we thought we'll get. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a, I, I would agree with you. I'd forgotten that Bathurst was as small as 43,000, to be honest. I'm a Bendigo boy by birth, which is about 100,000, <laughs> and sort of think of them as being kind of on a par but it's interesting that it's a little bit smaller yeah um, really keen let's have, let's talk a bit about you know the journey that you've both been on and we've obviously had a bit of introduction to you both there but can you tell us do you remember what the first craft beer and we have a very broad definition of that that you both had was yes embarrassingly it was blue moon <laughs> Uh, when I said broad definition, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we were in, we did a trip around the US um, a long, long time ago, over 10 years now. Oh, during yeah. uni, so poor man's trip to the US. Um, and yeah, we stopped off him, one of our stops was in Portland. Um, and yeah, like every place you go just had just this amazing we, we just range. didn't know about craft beer independent beer or the term ipa and yeah i just remember we went to every, every, every bar was its own little microbrewery and we just tried this beer and just holy shit what what is this what am i drinking that's so different and that that got us started on understanding that there was this whole different world out there and it's just kind of that was many years before grace then had her break but it just opened our eyes that there was this whole new world out there and that was the instigator. 
And when you got back from the trip, did you sort of look around for sort of craftier things here? And do you remember what sort of Australian craft beers you found next? Or was it straight um, back to Forex? No, so it was straight back to whatever was on special or whatever was in jugs at um, the uni. So it was usually like, <laughs> I mean, you had the Flodge, which was $10 jugs of half to his new half BB, which was uh, uh, an institution. No, this is an I abomination never, I've never heard of before. Never <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we were, we we had a big house that we had like eight uni students in, um, in Piermont, right, right in the, almost in the CBD of Sydney. Uh, and there was, a, I think it was the Quarrymans. That was the first time I had an IPA in Australia. I went, oh, and suddenly that whole experience of Portland, like a year or two earlier, came flooding back. And I think that's then when it started to take hold and we started seeking out. I have no idea who the IPA was from. It was just this big, strong beer. And it just, both of us, it's into like, oh, shit, I remember this. This was like all those beers we had in, in America. They're, they're here in Australia as well. It was awesome. um, it was Murray's. It was Murray's. Yeah, Murray's Fred IPA. Were, Murray's was <laughs> was some of the first ones, um, and then um, like uh, Hop Thief. Yeah, Hop Thief. Yeah. yeah. And suddenly it's yeah. three sheets. Then Angry yeah. Man. I, I worked at a bar at this time. We had one rotating craft beer tap. That's so that that gave us a bit of education as well. <laughs> but you know, we'd have we'd have to drink it all to get to the next one. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I could I could really go on a tangent with all my experiences at the Piermont Bridge Hotel, but um, <laughs> um, only because it was down the road from Labor Party National Conference, and I spent far too much time uh, at the at the pub there. But let's, we're gonna we're gonna push on past that moment um, and talk about some of those other beers. Then, did you start to homebrew after that, or where did you obviously you know working at the bar? How do you start to explore that interest in those kinds of beers? We did, I did buy Jared like a homebrew kit and we did do a few homebrews. We did. Not a lot. I, I, Can I ask, if, is that a bit like, now, sorry to interrupt Jared, but you bought him the homebrew kit, but were you the one brewing on it? Was it a bit like one of those, I think you'd love this and I'm going to I can't remember. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think it was, I, there wasn't a standout, but we were going to, to do it together. Yeah. I think we were both just as keen and interested. Um, even then, we still knew shockingly little about brewing. Oh, I, yeah. I had done my bathtub Cooper's uh, fermentation thing when I was 18, going, oh, my God, I can do my own beer for a dollar a litre. How good's this? And it tastes uh, and just it's... like grandma after a bath. <laughs> <laughs> and then that got firmly lost to memory. That sounded worse than I meant it to, can I say? It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But that only lasted a few times, and then suddenly you were... I think I started brewing at the contract brewery. Yeah, you were like, deep into it. And... A few months after our first ever homebrew, so... And then we yeah. didn't homebrew again until we'd started our own business, bought a grandfather, and started really trying to dial in some specific recipes. Mm. Let's get to that because I'm fascinated. I do absolutely will get to that bit. But, uh, Grace, I'm fascinated at what's it like to turn up on your first day... Having said yes, I want to be a, a brewer, and to walk into something like that was it? Are you no, just full of chucks bar, or were you just going? <laughs> what did I say yesterday, and what am I doing? Or what was the experience like for you? I'm trying to remember my first day, it was it was a big production facility, so it wasn't it wasn't like walking into a craft brewery, if that makes sense, like one of your smaller independent ones. You you walk into a like a manufacturing plant essentially. 
Um, so we were producing, we had 16 fermenters um, that were 40,000 litres. So that's, yeah, and they were full all the time, basically. Like you'd empty it and then you'd clean the tank and brew into it that day kind of thing. Um, so it was, it really was more manufacturing rather than, you know, creating, you know, a beautiful like craft beer at, at this stage. Um, but it was just kind of amazing. And like the whole process, it was a really good place to learn because you learn on this giant, you know, you learn the process on this giant machinery and all this kind of stuff. And then it literally, we had like pipes that went like up and uh, across the roof um down to the other side of the warehouse like 200 meters away and packaging lines were all down there um so like it was quite a, a remarkable experience really um i knew nothing i made so many mistakes so so many there were only three brewers um and me and one of the other ones were brand new and and brody was the only one who actually had experience um, so I started off as like my main job was filtration <laughs> which is hilarious because like I haven't filtered a beer now for over five years. <laughs> um, it's like if I was employed to do ironing, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, so I, I did that. Uh, circumstances changed really quickly. One of the other brewers lost their license and couldn't get to work at 5am uh, out in Western Sydney. So I was like, again, I was like, I'll give it a go. And so I jumped up on the brew deck and kind of, yeah, like literally two or three months after I started, I was brewing solo um, on this giant German uh, machine, essentially, which was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, inc it's incredibly cool. Um, and how soon were you sort of given a bit of license over the recipes as well? Or was it Absolutely. all sort of contract? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was all contract. So we were provided with recipes um, or they would buy like a recipe off the a plan basically and we'd have like our house recipes but yeah pretty much zero kind of um creativity but, but was that in its own weird way helpful to start with just to sort of really good like i said like just being able to learn the process and just from on that huge scale really allowed when i moved to akasha to learn the like the love and the intricate little bits and pieces and how you can like really craft a beer rather than just make it the same every single time you know what i mean which is super important as well though like when we're brewing core range beers um you know we want them to be the same every single time so yeah it was it was good and and bad but mainly good <laughs> now we obviously have the chat open here in the zoom room as we do every time that we speak to people and i'm going to encourage the room before you answer this question to start to type in room your own answers to this question we we often ask people what they studied at university uh, and it's fair to say that 98.35, I think, is the current uh, correct um, is the current correct percentage of people who came from one single industry. But type in your answers, Zoom Room, as to what industry you think the guys came from. Now, Mark's been quick off the mark there. Well played, Mark. Uh, and we'll give everyone 30 seconds or so while I just fill. And then we're going to get to finding out whether your degree was in the least bit useful, whether you finished your degree even before you uh, went up. But, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see uh, what what people study and what was relevant for them. Uh, and often it's the strangest thing. We had uh, some of the team on the other night who'd studied tourism and that ended up being a really useful thing for actually yeah, opening a, a brew pub, for instance. 
language. <laughs> I'm not sure who's sway. I'm not sure who you are, but you're good value already. I'm enjoying you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Tell us, tell us the truth. What's the what's the answer to the question, guys? I go first. I studied nursing, and I never finished. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> and never finished. You got within weeks, yeah. months of, of I got, graduating. I got bored, so I went to the US and worked in summer camps for three years and then came back yeah, right. and buzz. <laughs> and, and dealing with children, you know, wayward children in particular has been useful for working in breweries ever since. Is that sort of... Very a... similar to dealing with drunk people, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, I'm just letting that slide. Jared, what's your... <laughs> um, so mine is very relevant. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm in that 1%. I'm a geophysicist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of the time I've got some sort of relevant joke. I've got nothing on geophysics. Dirt people. Dirt people. Am I right? Um, if anybody on the line has any questions about plate tectonics or volcanoes, I'm your man. Jared wants undiscovered an island. Uh, okay, this might be one of the great tangents of all time, but sure, I'll bite. <laughs> Tell us the story of how you undiscover an island. Oh, Jesus. Was uh, it there this... and he's no longer there? Is that what we're talking Can about? I'll, I'll try and do the short version. Grace, cut me down if it's going too long. 50 uh, words or less, or can we not do an undiscovering in that? My, my thesis was studying seafloor bathymetry in the Coral Sea, trying to understand what was happening to the ocean floor 50 million years ago. Uh, all the maps show that we had to avoid this island. Uh, we were looking at the sea floor and went, you know what? This doesn't suggest there should be an island over there. It's it's too not like that. So we went over to where this island has been on all the maps for 300 years and it was 1,500 metres deep. So this island that's been on all the maps, Sandy Island out near Vanuatu, uh, has it was about the size of Manhattan, has never actually existed. And through all the research and things that happened afterwards, the the key idea that came out of it, it was called Sandy Island. It was reported during all the sailing era of discovery. Uh, it was actually a pumice raft from an underwater volcanic eruption in the Kermadec Trench. And it was just a big floating sea of pumice rock. And so it became the biggest scientific story of the year that we uh, that in 2016 or whenever it was, we still don't actually know enough about the Earth to know that this big island the size of Manhattan never actually existed. Uh, and as per everyone who's commenting in the Zoom room, like we have a, I say this with love of my friends who are joining us in Zoom, we are a bunch of absolute nerds. I think that that's a ripper of a story. I love it. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> And so naturally that went to owning a brewery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how could it not? I mean, I suppose, I mean, you know, we all do different things along the way. Uh, what else would there be left to do in geophysics after <laughs> the non-discovery of an island? I can see how you've gone, well, bugger, I've, I've, <laughs> I've done all I can do in that. You know, it's perhaps, you know, I could discover that it never really existed, but after the island, you know, it's, that's the only thing that's going to top that. So... <laughs> Mark, Mark in the Zoom, very good question. Have you ever done uh, a beer called the Undiscovered Island or something like that? There's, no, that's such a good idea. A I never even idea. thought of that. That's great. I <laughs> yeah. love Thank it. you. Copyright. <laughs> yeah, no, Mark, Mark only needs 5% of that, and we're up for T-shirt sales as well on the way. So. <laughs> Uh, Jacob in the Zoom room tells me that this was in the media, and I'm sure it was in the media, although my, I must admit that my 
you know, delving into the geophysics media isn't as deep as it used to be when I was a philosophy teacher. So there you go. All of these things turn out well. Um, I did sort of warn you before that I was going to ask the question about, you know, what it's like to be, you know, someone dabbling in the industry for the first time, not so much a home brewer from your point of view, but for people who are trying to make that transition from home brewing, which you guys did in bathtubs and whatever else, <laughs> what would you suggest to people who are keen on getting jobs in the industry? You know, not just women trying to get ahead, but just as a general punter, what yeah. what do you think people should be doing? I think, you know, there's obviously not a lot of like jobs in the beer industry. Like, like there are a lot of jobs, but they're usually snapped up very, very quickly by people, young people who, you know, you don't have to pay very much. They're not always very good, but, but, you know, there's, that's, that's the reality of it. Um, But I think for people who are wanting to make kind of a, a later transition into um, a brewery without actually just opening your own and owning one, uh, just make yourself indispensable, really. Like we've got a lot of locals um, who have just been amazingly helpful to us when we've, as we've been setting up the brewery, um, from IT support to uh, plumbing and um, electricity and to a public holiday with no staff and a customer just comes in yeah. and starts serving at the bar and sway. sway. <laughs> 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 that's how I started the bowls club. So this is it's totally my, it's, that's my hospo story. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest weaknesses with brewing in Australia and doing this is that it's a sought after industry. And so a lot of the industry leaders, the bigger players understand that it's a race to the bottom with salaries, hmm. which makes it a really disappointing uh, aspect of it being such a popular industry that a lot of people want to get into. And that's why you end up with a lot of these young people who are literally willing to work for free which is it's depressing demoralizing something we are actively trying to avoid but you've you've just got to find that company that isn't sitting there trying to take advantage of that if you find a company that's genuinely wants to try and grow and succeed they they will pay and they will find the person with experience and the person that wants to be there Mm. over that person who's just like oh beer's cool i'm going to be a brewer and my dad's rich, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's a great call, I've got to say. And um, I've got to say, we, as you might have picked, we love our T-shirts here in the cool room. Uh, we've talked, I think we're up to 2,698 uh, possible T-shirt designs. We're yet to produce one, but we do love <laughs> talking about the designs. And just because you are clearly copyright and litigious, I'd like to point out my wife's a lawyer, and I'm happy to you know, I'm happy to go to litigation. But the phrase "it takes a village to raise a brewery" uh, springs to mind with some of what you're talking about there in terms of the number of different roles that locals have in in helping out. And it's when I had pubs and things; it's absolutely true. It's when you have that little desperate look in your eye because you can't make something work. And someone just goes, it's okay, I've got this. I'm, I'm in IT or I'm in, you know, I'm an electrician. Would you like me to have a look? And you just go, you, you don't know how much I want you to have a look. Yeah, Aside exactly. from the uh, the future cease and desist for that T-shirt, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> not only have we got that group of people, um, the week before we were opening, we had no staff to run the bar. We had no idea what we are going to do. And I was operating a farmer's market. And these two middle-aged women were there. Um, they are now both full-time with us and one's just become our Central West sales rep. And I, I hired them on the spot because they were just so cool. They were interested <laughs> in what we were doing. 
they they just really vibe with what we're doing um uh, i've forgotten the rest of the, where i was going to go with that but um i think yeah the point was like our, even the people who are not just helping us for out of the goodness of their heart the staff that we've found are just oh. unbelievably amazing um and i'd like to think that as jared touched on before it's because we don't pay people minimum wage we we try to pay people what they're worth we're, we're as, as much as we can um so yeah we're we're very proud of that aspect of our business as well i think you know being having having been undervalued in in previous jobs before so which is why we now have our own business because we we all felt undervalued it's it's so important and again without laboring the point it's so important for women in the industry as well who often sort of end up at the lower rung of all the lower rungs in terms of the pay scale on a whole range of things. So Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I reckon this might be a good little moment, just have a quick two or three minute break so that we can all freshen our glasses and so forth. We're about to come back with the stout uh, and tee up audience questions, my friends, but don't ask them now when recording is off. You know how that makes me feel on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> This meeting is being recorded. Oh, good Lord. There's all of these strange Zoom voices talking to me, telling me what's going on. But I know what's going on because I'm David Griffiths. I'm the host of The Cool Room. And I know that is episode 169. Uh, and we're talking with Grace. We're talking with Jared from Reckless Brewing. Uh, and we're experiencing so many of their fun beers today. Jump onto our Shopify. Just go to Cool Room Podcast Shopify from Google and you'll be able to track down all the beers and breweries that we have online from Australia and from overseas. Give us a hand to keep the podcast ticking along by grabbing some beer. Thank you to everyone who's done that recently. Thank you to everyone who is able right now to open a Reckless Brewing Stout on the 26th of February in the year of our Lord, 223. It's an Australian summer we're drinking stout. Um, are you outraged by the thought of drinking stout in summer, Tim? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to say one thing and then it's all great. Uh, every time a, a random punter comes up and tries this at a farmer's market or at a festival or anything we're doing and it's hot and the stout's next, and I say, this is a summer stout. It's a big beer, it's toasty, but it's also really crisp and slammable. And that was that was the key focus of this. That it had to be a beer that was year-round, not just a beer that you only drink in the three and a half days in Australia that you actually get winter each year. That's it. That's my story. No, well, it's a, it's a great <laughs> statement. And I was about to throw to Jacob, who's in the Zoom room with us, but who, once again has his little daughter in his arms, and so we won't wake her. But he's asked a really great, a great question in Zoom, which I was going to throw to him for, but uh, he's saying it's surprisingly hoppy, and that's a good thing. But he's asking, do you make black IPAs and other sort of beers that sort of sit alongside this, I guess, in the continuum of beers? Is there a bit of influence from that? And is that what makes it a, a great beer to be having all year round? Um. It is a definitely an American style stout, so it is definitely on the on the hoppier side. Um, and as I touched on previously, um, all of our beers tend to showcase uh, the hops or the unique ingredient like kumquats um, rather than the malty kind of backbone. Uh, not saying that the malt's not important; it's super important to get that balance right to make sure that you know you can really have those flavors and aromas coming out without it just being a complete astringent bitter horrible mess so um 
to answer the next part, uh, you may be seeing a black IPA from us soon. It's TBC. We're discussing. Oh, our it's the free sixteen scoop. <laughs> discussing our winter lineup uh, as we speak, actually, um, and there's a few kind of darker beers um, in there. So, um, yeah, black IPA is definitely being thrown around. So is um, a black lager as well. So, yeah, not and, sure. Um, it's it's the first uh, winter. That we've had our own facility up and running mm. so previously we've, we've really struggled to keep production going so we've just been sticking to our cause and just brewing the, the stout when we can over winter this year we've got a bit more of a free reign so we've got quite a few cool things hopefully uh coming online in the next few months yeah 100 100 um but yeah i think um you know jared touched on the two days of winter that australia has we where we live gee, that's no. that's waning quickly it's gone from three and a half to two i mean <laughs> i believe i believe in global warming. <laughs> um yeah we live in uh in oberon um which is just about 40 minutes outside of bathurst uh in the highlands of new south wales and for the thousands of americans it's about three thousand five hundred feet high so it gets a lot of snow in winter or 1100 meters um so yeah we we get snow and we um we actually did during lockdown a, a series of um videos like video tastings um which you can check out on our youtube if you're interested um but we did one in the snow with the stout and jared even said this would be the perfect summer stout so here we are <laughs> That's marvellous. And and I've got a tangent that I want to go on that is so tangential that I will have to cut it out. Um, Oberon-class submarines, are they named after Oberon, the location? And if so, why would you, in Australia, name a class of submarines after something that goes at heights if submarines go to depths? Well, I, I hate to possibly bring it back down to earth but isn't it collins class submarine no they're the new ones that don't work the oberons <laughs> i'm pretty sure were the ones previously that didn't work oh, okay. well maybe that's why they don't work because of my <laughs> um degree in literature i i didn't know until i moved to oberon that oberon's actually a shakespeare character yeah 12th night i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> former english that. former literature teacher i'm pretty sure yeah. sh- yes yes <laughs> and and the best bit is that because everyone else in the room is muted, I can see them trying to answer the question. And they <laughs> midsummer night's dream. I knew it was one of those oh, there we fairies go. and <laughs> yeah, because there's the street oh, that Shakespeare close and, and yeah, um, it's all, all mid- midsummer blah blah blah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, we'll, deli- we'll we- none of that will ever go to air. <laughs> yeah, it just shows my ignorance about submarines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've probably sidetracked myself there. I apologise uh, for that. Tell us a little bit, of it, and Kelly in the Zoom room quite rightly points out that the hops are listed on the side of the can there. But can you tell us about the hop choice here? We've got b- hops in there that we would normally associate with, I guess, a West Coast IPA and some of those big C's that we talk about a bit for people who are new to brewing. Which hops have you used here and why? Yeah, so um, it is Cascade and Centennial are the main hops. Um, and then we do a big Citra dry hop, a big Citra double dry hop. Ooh. If you want to, you know, bing, bing, keyword there. Um, 
I don't, many stouts are not hop, dry hopped at all. And this one's double dry hopped, which I think kind of sets it apart, but also brings out that delightful citra aroma. Um, but those hops specifically were chosen to really balance out those uh, toffee, caramelly, um, chocolatey kind of notes that a stout usually has to really lighten it up and make it a little bit brighter. Um, so they all have like really big citrus hits, especially obviously the citra in the dry hop, um, which just as you're, you know, lifting your glass to your nose, you get that beautiful citra hit that just completely changes the palate completely. So, um, but yeah, and you got, you get a little bit of, of resin and, and whatnot, um, like you said, your traditional kind of West Coast um, flavours and aromas coming out there. Um, but yeah, all kind of uh, designed to, make it a little bit more smashable, basically. And the centennial, I mean, maybe it's just me and that sort of thing where you see things and you see them recurring, but I feel like I've seen more beers with the centennial in them recently than I did for a while there. It seemed to sort of go away for a bit and is back a bit now. It did definitely fall out of uh, favour, I reckon. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's just so many new amazing varieties of hops to use. I think that... A lot of the hops we use are um, uh, those tried and tested ones. Um, we know that it's going to be the same every time, um, so we can really trust that our recipe is going to going to hold up like years and years down the track, essentially. But um, but yeah, I have I agree. I think that Centennial fell out of favour a little bit, but it's it's on the way back as it rightly should be because it's delightful. Uh, and Jacob again, I presume he needs me to ask his question, which I'm very happy to do. DDH, uh, I presume this means it's a drink fresh stout, asks Jacob. Um, yes. Uh, we, I mean, all all independent craft beers should be drunk, um, you know, as close to package date as possible. It's just the nature of the beer. Um, but from on a personal level and a lot of other craft brews are the same. Um, we don't use any preservatives um, or anything like that. So you want to drink it how we intend. Um, we definitely recommend drinking as, as soon as you, as you get it basically. And obviously storage is important. So keep it cold. Um, but on, but stouts, um, they hold up better than most other beers. So yes, I definitely would recommend drink fresh, but it's not as imperative as it would be for a hazy beer or a big West coast IPA or an XBA. And if this is your summer stout, is there some big, I'm, I'm not going to use a rude word, but a <laughs> rack-off rack winter stout that's sort of out there as well, like the the other end of the stout continuum? There may be something with the word stout being thrown around at the moment for our winter schedule. Uh, I'll take <laughs> that as the 323 uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're having a ball. I, I'm going to get, throw to audience questions in a minute. I have a couple more of my own. But it sounds like you're really excited and enjoying the fact that you've got your own brewery now and that COVID is over. What was it like to go through <laughs> that? We've spoken to a number of breweries who, like all of us in the industry, sort of got a bit caught out with COVID, understandably. We didn't see an international pandemic coming down the line. Um what are you looking forward to? What's going to be the next sort of fun things that you're sort of thinking about being able to do now that you're sort of embedded and have your own space? 
I think we are just um, looking forward to a bit of norm- normalcy, normality, normality, normality. Um, is we, you know, obviously we we started our brewery about three months before COVID, um, so we've existed through COVID, um, and then we opened our tap room um, and brewery in September, and then went straight into busy Christmas season and all that kind of stuff, and it kind of hasn't quieted down. Um, for us, which has been obviously amazing, don't get me wrong, um, but it's just been a little bit overwhelming, I think. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went, we we suddenly brewing twenty times as much, and we've gone from the three of us and sales rep to twenty five staff, and we're still trying to find more. And then before we know it, spring's going to be here, and we've got some really cool plans for that. And it's just. And then it'll be Christmas, and wow. then you know it'll be Easter again, and then we'll all be dead. That's it. Is that, is that how it exactly. works? Exactly. So it's it's just been such a crazy whirlwind. We'd like to think at some point there'll be a point where we can take a step back, have a breath, consolidate, and just just make some really nice, uh, stable plans. Jared and I also decided for some reason, to have two children during this uh, this time yeah. as well. Yeah, so <laughs> life's, life's been relaxing. And, um... Yeah, I just want to remind you that one day, maybe in 20 years' time, they'll listen to this podcast. So it'll be really good to say something affirming about that decision as well. <laughs> good. They're Get great. a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are great. And they have been unbelievably flexible. We've got a three-year-old and a six-month-old. Um, so they've just been pulled along for the ride the whole yeah. way. And, um, yeah, our son Finn who's three when we're building the brewery he thought that we were building like a special play like house for him and then these people showed up on our opening day and he got super mad about it oh really (laughs) other children were playing with the wooden train set in the little children's area and that was that was his wooden train set yeah (laughs) that's quite hates and loves the brewery (laughs) i i love it uh (laughs) That's it, it reminds me a bit. Took yeah, at the opposite end of the we started a brewery last year scale. We had Schlenkler on from Bamberg last year, and they were talking, you know, a family brewery that is now seven or eight generations old at least, but that they have a 11 year old, which is my son's age, who just expects to run a brewery and a bar yeah. and so forth, and is used to dealing with university students who come in and want a full bar experience. It's like, no, I can understand that. So, um, <laughs> the three year old with the train set is something we can completely relate to here in the cool room. We call it the cool room because the cool room is the thing that breaks down, it's the bit of machinery that um, never quite works properly. We've had some allusions to our explosions and shovel experiences. Is there one of those moments that you want to share? You don't have to name the brewery uh, where something went wrong. Peel back the curtain a little bit and let people who are not in the industry know about what it's like to actually slog away at a job in the non-glamorous part of the industry. Other than the bit where someone turns up and doesn't recognise that you're a brewer when you have one of those (laughs) Um, so many, I mean, <laughs> like, well, I'll talk only about our experience in building a brewery, but so many things went wrong. Luckily, oh. nothing, obviously catastrophic. We're still here. Um, but like, yeah, I, numerous, numerous things went wrong, but the calamity. One of, one of the interesting ones. Was probably, other than 
me giving birth to our daughter the week that the equipment arrived that wasn't a very good plan but <laughs> we've never can i promise you we've never had a guest say that before <laughs> um we had a few delays um with our equipment arriving and so the date just kept getting closer and closer to my due date and yeah and ended up being pretty much uh the same week you in the delivery room uh on your phone uh, yes basically. <laughs> Delivery room in a hospital seems not the space at customs where brewing kits come in from. They're both now. I'll tell you one of the biggest calamities is it's a historic building. It's it's a heritage listed building and we're trying to put the biggest uh, possible fermenters and um, brew house that can fit in this space. And so we've got the laser uh, measurers, we're working out everything, we're trying to work out how we can get things to stand up. Uh, we spent six months on all of this and making sure that the requirements were that it had to fit through this hole sideways, stand it up here, do all of this. And yeah, we've got a three day old and the first lot of the equipment rocks up and one of the tanks is 150 mil wider than the heritage listed wall that um, we had to get it through and we had 24 hours to get it through before the next lot of equipment arrived that permanently covered that hole um, because of the way we had designed it all. So that was one of the, the larger calamities. Luckily, which, oh yeah, that no, that's was not actually heritage. The listed. wall itself wasn't. <laughs> and so at 4 a.m. in the morning, a masonry expert was in there. Um, uh, by seven o'clock, the tank was through. And at eight o'clock, the next truck of tanks arrived. And, and you can still see the wall today where <laughs> we had to chip it away. <laughs> uh, well, I presume as someone who spends a lot of time protecting heritage-listed uh, buildings in the city of Melbourne that uh, that was all done in accordance with planning provisions, in which case, well done, guys. That's no small <laughs> achievement because I'm well, a lot of the city. Through paperwork and a lot of phone yeah, calls yeah. and a lot of calls actually to council because we didn't want to suffer the insane wrath and actually work out that there was a solution but we had 12 hours to enact it yeah um, we we had a we had a backup if we weren't able to bust through that wall a little bit um so that would have been enacted but yeah we didn't have to which was good uh, but uh, the, the general thing is owning a brewery is amazing but we we walked into this eyes open going this is going to be the hardest thing we have ever done there is going to be sleepless nights the stress levels are going to put our relationship to the test and it was 10 times harder than we ever thought it would be and it is still sleepless nights it's still stressful we love every bit of it but Holy crap. I, I reckon if we knew how hard it would be, would we have done it? I, I honestly don't know. Um, but we're here and we're loving what is the best, it. So yeah, give, us, you know, give us a couple of those best bits as well. Let's balance that because we love our explosions and our wall stories and everything else. But like genuinely, what's the coolest thing about going, actually, you know what, we've done it? I mean, at the end of the day, like you look at a, a can of beer and you go, I created this from the concept to the recipe, to actually making it to the design of the can. Like it's a hundred percent our team and our team, I think is, is key. Our and team they make is it key. Amazing. The, yeah. um, there's a few people here that have been to the brewery a few times and they'll attest the the team that is behind the bar that is in that brewery. Um, the, the, my proudest part of it on top of that team is seeing these locals come in every week and over Christmas bring their their families their friends their daughters their sons 
their son's high school teacher's best friend's <laughs> dog walker uh, because this town is just so proud of this place and the vibe in there is so relaxed and cool but fun that they just want to come back and they want to show other people it's the most humbling experience and it makes it all worth it yeah 100 percent. that's a brilliant answer i love i love that enthusiasm genuinely that's what makes me so happy to be part of this industry and to share all of our stories uh, the other question that's almost becoming a cool room regular question, if I remembered to ask it every time I was on the show, then it would be a regular question is, what's your favourite toy in the brewery? Is there a little bit of a kit that you either have or is there something you really want to buy? What's the next bit of equipment you'd like to have in the brewery that'll do the next thing? There are so many things I want to buy. <laughs> so many, so many. Um, yeah, I'm presuming it's not something that sort of, you know, clarifies and removes, you know. No, of- no. I would, I would just say, you know, there's some really cool lab equipment that you can get. Um, it's like, we're all nerds here. It's okay. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You've come, you have come to the right place for nerd conversations. That was one of the hardest parts going from such a large production facility into smaller craft breweries because we did have probably a three or $400,000 lab that we would, you know, test the beer on and you'd go to... I went to Akasha and at that time, Akasha was still using a hydrometer to test gravity, which is what we use. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's so much cool lab lab equipment that you'd use. But for, um, I don't know, what piece well, of equipment do we have? For me, um, you triggered it when you said toy. We're, we've got a kid's area <laughs> and I'm I'm setting up a HSK. You're not scout. playing with the wooden trains as well, are you? If you, you no, actually yeah, he is playing with toy trains. <laughs> yeah for me it's just the train set i can kind of understand that it's a bit like when suddenly at the age of 38 or whatever i was i was allowed to go to the zoo again and be excited about giraffes and elephants it was actually pretty cool to have social license to be excited again right (laughs) we are actually located next to the bathurst train museum and they have a massive massive it's like a proper train set of the local like stations and stuff it's really it's, and it we're right cool. next to the train line so we're actually yeah. angling to get a little model of the brewery put into this train set i, I just don't know how much money it's going to cost us in sponsorship but it <laughs> will happen oh no i like i've happy to write a letter <laughs> jared likes trains if you hadn't um you haven't figured that out. <laughs> no, that's all good. So, so my son Blake and I, when we went to Sydney last year for our cool room extravaganza, go back and check the archives. Uh, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we went to the likes of the Hawks. We travelled by train in and out. That's the last time I was in Bathurst was by a train. So, absolutely, we we're awesome. totally on board for that. <laughs> but poor Heinrich in Norway is so bored by the conversation right now. <laughs> Let us move on to some audience questions. We've got a couple of rippers. I'm going to feel bad because I don't know whether I'm about to introduce Gabrielle or Gabriel, but I'm going to introduce one or the other, or maybe both. Uh, how <laughs> should I pronounce your name, my friend? Welcome for joining us in the cool room, I think for the very first time. And um, you're obviously a reckless fan. Uh, tell us your story and ask your audience question, please. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's definitely Gabriel. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a big fan. I sort of got into these guys a while ago, but uh, I've been enjoying them. I don't remember what my first question was, but um, I, uh, I guess... It was, in, uh, it was your favourite ingredient. Yeah, favourite ingredient to work with, yeah. So of all the things you're using to brew, you know, yeah. what's your, you know, that gives the best flavour or the best, you know, just gives you some excitement in brewing. 
That's two different questions, Gabriel. <laughs> I love the excitement in brewing one. It reminds me of whatever her name is, whose doctrine I don't follow about cleaning your house and getting rid of everything that doesn't give you excitement or happiness. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Susie Kondo? Sure. What, what, <laughs> ingredient, what ingredient gives you happiness or excitement? I don't know. I you, mean, you hops. Love, you love Sabro. I do love Sabro hops. Oh. Like, but Sabro is like that's the sound of people turning off the podcast. Yeah, it's such, a, and I I kind of love how like a hop could be so diverse. So like, wow, <laughs> the, the um, ones who suffered through the February stout. You know, too. <laughs> but I think um I uh yeah we talk about hops like the thing that you know is our favorite would be Citra. We love Citra. We think that Citra is like. The hop, it's kind of like the lime of the hop world. You can just add it to everything and it just makes it better. We don't add it to everything because every time I go, we should put citra in it, I get some pushback from people, sales. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, the thing that excites me most is when we use like these unusual ingredients, specifically um, uh, zest, I think, just has yeah. such an amazing, um, you know, it imparts such amazing qualities onto a beer. So I've used zest, a few different types of zest in my time, and they've all been really, really good. But any unique uh, ingredient. Yeah. There. For me, it's natives. I think years ago I had this idea that we'll just have these rotating seasonals and would always have a bush lager. You'd have this basic clean beer base because – uh, and I don't know the full history of everything, but I know that 500 years ago, it was thyme and rosemary that was used to flavour most beer uh, in England before hops became prevalent in Germany. And then eventually that spread around the world. And Australia has all these herbs and spices that have never really been put into beers that we can really showcase that being kind of a country regional brewery. We can own that. And so for me, it's it's the natives that exist in this land, some that people have never heard of that I'm really excited about. Just keep that at the forefront and make that something that's our own. Ripper answers and a great question uh, that's that's given those. I think we've seen a real insight into what you're about as a brewery through those. So thank you for the question and thank you for the answers. Um, James, you ask an entirely relevant question about where the brewery's name comes from. Please unmute, ask oh. that question, and then uh, I think you just typed another one, so you can you can have two for one in your oh, unmuted. Thanks, time. David. It's all about value adding. Um, thanks, team. It's been great trying your delicious beers. Um, I wondered about the name. Is there any inspiration behind it? I mean, for me, it sort of evokes some Australian classic rock, but um, I'm sure others have a different take. Oh, it's a submarine-based thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's a glitch in the matrix. That's what we've been <laughs> um, So we came up with the idea that we wanted a brewery and the hardest part was trying to convince Jared that it shouldn't be named after trains. Uh, <laughs> that was tough. And we kind of got to D-Day where we had to register the name of the business and we went over to um, Alice, our other co-founder's house, and we had, had lists. F- we all had lists, and everyone vetoed every single name on the list, not everyone else's list. So we went, effort, let's uh, have some beers. And we were drinking some beers. We were quite a few. We knew kind <laughs> of the, the style of the name. It didn't, we didn't want it to be a specific location because we didn't have a location. We wanted it to be simple. We wanted it to be something that people could easily remember. 
we wanted it to be adventurous but cavalier oh no that's cavalier brewing wayward no that's wayward brewing. <laughs> something uh, a, a synonym of adventurous you, mm. you know that that path a little less traveled and then well australian crawl came on the <laughs> spotify and here we are today <laughs> is it really is it really that absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. we just <laughs> i think we all you know a few beers in you kind of were just like we looked at each other like Ah, that's it. <laughs> that's quite fantastic. The, the response in the Zoom room is is huge. And I'm sure it's as much, I mean, everyone loves James Ray and everyone loves, you know, the song Reckless. But again, it's that submarine connection, uh, which is important. It's the Oberon class, which I've confirmed is a class of submarine. There were 28 <laughs> of them uh, built and they were effective in the Arctic, which is even more. That's how nerdy I am with my Google searches, uh, that, you know, that the Arctic was a particular place where the Oberon class were effective. Uh, if you don't know what I'm referring to, Heinrich, just don't bother, mate. It's um, It's been a long journey for you today. A long journey. We have, I think we have one last audience question left. I'm going to throw to Mark. Uh, Mark, who one of our eminent designers in the room, ask your question, please, brother. Yeah, yeah thanks, Dave. Uh, th- thanks, guys. Sen- sensational session. Um, and, and also your views are lovely too. Join all of them. Um, j- yeah, just a quick one about... Um, when did you come up with your your branding concepts and um, who does your can art and what's that sneaky little logo on there? Is that a Jack Russell? Because I'm a Jack Russell fan. Or is it a fox? Um, so we have gone through a, a brand refresh when we opened the um, the, the venue. Um, it was a, a good time, I think, to, to do that and kind of we knew a little bit more about who we were when we first started. We were a little little confused and lost and kind of making our way um but the original um our original branding was done by uh, a team called yeah rad in sydney who are awesome um we, they were amazing for us we understood that we had these strengths grace was an amazing brewer alice worked in finance who understood accounting and how to start a business i like to drink a lot of beer so we had everything that we needed but we understood enough to know our weaknesses that marketing and branding was not a strength and so that was something we had to go to professionals for yeah so we we actually jared's brother um no jared's cousin um has a a a mexican um restaurant restaurant and they used to be the in-house guys at his mexican restaurant and then started their own um little i don't know what you call it design firm firm and yeah but then um as so they got us through our first kind of three years um but they just got too damn busy for their own good. Shout out to you, Rad. Yeah. <laughs> so we, um, we, yeah, we made the the decision that as we were opening, we needed, um, you know, a little bit more, um, a little bit more time for them that they were not able to give. Basically, so I had worked with um, a design duo at Akasha, um, and so we brought them on board um so that's vincent casey who's in newstead in victoria and um brendan mccallum who is in newcastle in um new south wales so with the cautious blessing yes i did ask dave if that would be okay (laughs) and um yeah so they uh conceptualized the new logo and kind of we were able to tell them what who we were now and they they came up with the new logo and the core range cans all obviously kind of fit together although you only have one 
core range that we tasted today, but that's all right. And then we've got the limited release um, series uh, allows Vincent to kind of, you know, have a bit more fun basically, which is cool. Yeah. And the dog. Oh yeah. And the no, dog. I, do, yeah, I was going to say, you need to follow up on that. So you, I don't know what, what, what is that species of dog? This is important. <laughs> um, oh, well, well, I mean, we don't even know what species know. she is. She's our dog. Um, her name's Tonks. Um, we got her pretty much as the brewery was starting um, from the pound. She's in orange, actually, the pound in orange. But she is uh, a bloodhound, a bit of Weisler, a bit of Staffy. Bit of everything. Bit of everything. Bit of something for everyone. Yeah, exactly. She's a giant puppy, and that's what she looks like when she bounds. And yeah. it's just such a great <laughs> character chat. And it really just represented uh, the, the modern family, that it doesn't matter if it's man, man, girl, girl, uh, man, girl, three kids, four dogs, whatever. The dog just, the dog is what matters. It, it just represents that ev- everyone's welcome. It's, yeah, and it's the, the, the dog is the perfect, you know, never let you down, you know what I mean? Like man's best friend, like that. And that's kind of like our vibe is like, you know, we'll, we'll always be there for you. <laughs> Like a good puppy. <laughs> please pat us slash please drink our beers. <laughs> that is a great answer, a great place to wrap up. And I've got to say a shout out to my dog, Lionel, who tried to get in a dragon boat yesterday, which is, um, it's another story. Just check out my Facebook or my, my Instagram, uh, David Griffiths. But let's talk about your social medias. Uh, how do we get on to hearing the story of what's happening up at Reckless every day and week? What social medias should we be following? and um, where do we find your beers around Australia, particularly in Melbourne? Where can we track down your beers? Um, so we, uh, the social handle is Reckless Brewing Co. Um, and for those of you who do uh, want to check out our venue and stuff, we also have a venue-specific one that's a little bit more kind of specific for local events and things, which is reckless.bx. BX is the local lingo for Bathurst, in case you guys are wondering. I was kind of wondering, but I didn't want to look ignorant by asking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beers in Melbourne, not a lot of places at the moment, but that is hopefully going to change pretty soon. Something Sparrow has a lot of our range. There you go. Like Carton Sparrow? Yep. That's That's it. Never heard of them. (laughs) They're one of the the first ones uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, placed in order. We're looking to get our logistics sorted literally in the next few weeks. so coming into autumn, you should uh, be able to start seeing us in Melbourne. But yeah, keep on keep on our socials, and we'll um, we'll definitely make a big hoo ha about it because we're pretty excited. Um, my um, my family's all from Victoria, so they've been hounding me for a long time uh, <laughs> to, to get some beer to them. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today, guys. We know running a successful brewery, particularly when you're just getting it off the ground, is an incredibly time-consuming thing, even more so when you have a family and a dog to do it all around. Uh, You've been really generous with your time today. And um, we're going to hit pause on and stop on the recording, but if you're in the Zoom room, we can sit around and have a couple more beers. That's why we always encourage you to log on and join us live in the Zoom room, in the cool room. Thank you very much, Grace. Thank you very much, Jared. Thanks, guys. Our pleasure. Cheers.